Notes for chapter three, the second part starting at the bottom of page 16. So just to recap, Hester Prynne is standing on the scaffold out in a huge crowd in Boston. And then this part begins where Reverend John Wilson says, listen to me, Hester Prynne. And then on the top of page 17, um, we have the description where the governor, Reverend Wilson, Reverend Dimsdale, and some other important people are standing or seated up on this balcony that is overlooking where Hester Prynne is standing on the scaffold. And then we have a description of Governor Bellingham, and he is there with his entourage. He has four kind of um, Secret Service guys with him, and they have these um, bearing halberds, and um, it's like these uh, kind of weapons. They're all official. And then the description of what Governor Bellingham is wearing. So remember, the Puritans would, wanted to purify the Church of England. They thought it was too ornate and too much like the Catholic Church. And so the Puritan dress is very austere and it's very plain. But look at Governor Bellingham's attire. He is wearing um, a feather in his hat. He has a border of embroidery on his cloak and a black velvet tunic. Um, he's also described as being a, a gentleman, um, old. He's got wrinkles. And then we have, yet again, one of those double negatives. He was not ill-fitted, um, which means that he was suited to be the head of this community. And then um, we go through... And the very bottom, page 17, the voice which had called her attention was that of the Reverend and famous John Wilson. And then we have a description of him. He is the oldest clergyman of Boston. He is a great scholar, like most of his contemporaries um, in the profession. And he also is a man of kind and genial spirit. Then on the next page, Top of page 18, we have a physical description. So this is some direct characterization of Reverend John Wilson. He stood um, with a border of grizzled locks, his hair beneath his skull cap. So that would have been a small covering over his head. And then he has gray eyes. And generally, he's used to working inside in a dark. And so he was not used to being outside. And his eyes are winking just like that of Hester's infant. And um, the second paragraph on page 18, he calls her again. He says, Hester Prynne. And then he begins to explain that he has had this ongoing conversation with his young brother there, not his actual brother, but he's referring to Arthur Dimsdale, who is a young minister. And so he says, I've been having this conversation with Arthur Dimsdale about who should best deal with you. Should I ask um, or should he ask? And then he says that he's trying to persuade Reverend Dimsdale that he should be the one because he is your preacher and he knows best. Um, he says he could the better judge what arguments to use, whether of tenderness or terror, such as might prevail over your hardness and obstinacy. Obstinacy means being stubborn. And then um, he says that the Reverend Dimsdale 
said that it was wrong um, to try to, uh, says it were wronging the very nature of woman to force her to lay open her heart's secrets in such broad daylight. And then at the very end, he says, what say you to it? Once again, Brother Dimsdale, must it be you or me that shall deal with this poor sinner's soul? So then at that point, Governor Bellingham interjects his, and he says, uh, good Master Dimsdale, the responsibility of this woman's soul lies with you. It behooves you, which means it is to your benefit. Therefore, if you exhort, if you urge strongly her to uh, repentance and to confession as a proof and consequence thereof. Then on page 19, we have this huge description of Reverend Arthur Dimsdale. He's a young clergyman. He um, comes from one of the great English universities. And he has, um, says his eloquence and religious fervor had already given the earnest of high eminence in his profession. So he already has a great reputation. Um, he was a person of very striking aspect with a white, lofty, and impending brow. He has large, brown, melancholy eyes. Melancholy means sad. And then the description of his mouth, a mouth which unless he forcibly closes it, is apt to be tremulous, which expresses both nervous sensibility and a vast power of self-restraint. And then um, it goes on, these high native gifts and scholar-like attainments, there was an air about this young minister, an apprehensive, a startled, a half-frightened look as of a being who felt himself quite astray. So think of someone who's kind of nervous. He's handsome. He's good looking. He's young, but he may be kind of shy out in public. And he really shines when he's standing behind the pulpit and delivering a sermon. But when he's out in this kind of environment, he's very nervous. And then um, this is an interesting line or description about him where it says, Therefore, so far as his duties would permit, he trod in these shadowy bypaths. So he's not someone who's like, hey, look at me, you're going out. He's not an extrovert. He very much is an introvert and thus kept himself simple and childlike, coming forth when occasion was with a freshness and fragrance. We have the alliteration there of freshness and fragrance and dewy purity of thought which, as many people said, affected them like the speech of an angel. So his sermons are already being compared to the speech of an angel. So this is high praise for this young man. And so then, again, Mr. Wilson says, Speak to the woman, my brother. It is of moment to her soul. And so he's saying this is very important for Hester's um, salvation. And then the description of, uh, or excuse me, when it says Reverend Mr. Dimsdale bent his head in silent prayer, and then he talk, starts to talk to Hester Prynne. On page 20, pay attention to this part. He says, I charge you to speak out the name of your fellow sinner and fellow sufferer. 
So he's saying, I command you to name the father of your child, name the person that you had an affair with. And then Arthur Dimsdale also says this, do not be quiet for any mistaken pity and tenderness for him. For believe me, Hester, if he were to step down from a high place and stand next to you on that scaffold, it would be better for him than to hide a guilty heart throughout his life. What can your silence do for him except tempt him and actually compel him to add hypocrisy to his sin? And then Arthur Dimsdale says this about Hester's um, punishment. He says, heaven has given you an open ignominy that thereby may work out an open triumph over the evil within you and the sorrow without. Do not deny this to the person who is the father of your child, because maybe perchance this man does not have the courage to do this for himself. And then this um, metaphor here, uh, the guy does not have the courage to grasp it for himself, the bitter but wholesome cup that is now presented to your lips. And then the description about how the um, pastor's voice was sweet and rich, deep and broken. And then um, says, so powerful seemed the minister's appeal that the people could not believe that Hester would not say the guilty name of the person. But Hester's response is that she actually just shakes her head no. And then Reverend Wilson gets a little bit aggravated about that. And he screams, woman transgress not beyond the limits of heaven's mercy. So he's like, don't push your luck. And then on page 21, um, he says, you know, if you will speak the name of the baby's father, that and thy repentance may avail you to take the scarlet letter off of your dress. And Hester's response to that is never. And then she looks not at Mr. Wilson. And this is an important part. So Reverend Wilson has just spoken to Hester. And when she responds, she does not look at the person who has just spoken to her. Instead, she is staring deeply at Arthur Dinsdale. So pay attention to this at the top of page 21. Never, replied Hester Prynne, looking not at Mr. Wilson, but into the deep and troubled eyes of the younger clergyman. So she is staring into the eyes of Arthur Dimsdale, and she tells him, it is too deeply branded, you cannot take it off, and would that I might endure his agony as well as mine. So Hester right here is showing that she is being strong. She is being defiant against the Puritan rulers. And she's saying, I will take my punishment and I will also accept the punishment of my lover, who is the father of my child. At this point, creepy lopsided guy who was standing at the very back has made his way toward the scaffold and he screams out speak woman said another voice coldly and sternly proceeding from the crowd about the scaffold 
speak and give your child a father. And Hester says, I will not speak. But she turns pale as death, nice simile there, responding to this voice, which she too surely recognized. She recognizes that voice in the crowd because remember, she had recognized him earlier. And she says, my child must seek a heavenly father. She shall never know an earthly one. So now we find out that the baby is a little girl. And then Arthur Dimsdale mumbles to himself. He says, she will not speak. And then he draws back away from the balcony. He has his hand over his heart. And I want you to pay attention to that because we're going to see that throughout the rest of the novel. Um, this is the first part that mentions it on page 21. So he has his hand upon his heart and he says, wondrous strength and generosity of a woman's heart. She will not speak. So then for the next hour or so, Reverend Wilson gives a sermon and he uses Hester Prynne as a symbol in that sermon. And Hester Prynne is a symbol of sin. And then at the very end, um, we have the infant during the latter portion of this ordeal is wailing and screaming. Hester tries to calm the child. It says mechanically. So she's not, she's just going through the motions. And then also this right here, but seems scarcely to sympathize with its trouble. So she's kind of trying to soothe the child. She's doing this kind of automatically. She's not really paying attention to it. And then um, at the very end says, it was whispered by those who peered after her as she goes back into the prison that the scarlet letter threw a lurid gleam along the dark passageway of the interior. The word lurid means lighted or shining with an unnatural fiery glow. Um, so it's kind of like this red gleam that is uh, coming from the scarlet letter. So that is the end of that chapter. So the people that I want you to pay attention to, that stranger who with the lopsided shoulders, because Hester recognizes him in the crowd. She obviously knows him from her time back in Amsterdam and before that back in England. And then the way that she stares into the eyes of Arthur Dimsdale as she says, I will take his punishment as well as my own. Um, at that point, we should recognize as readers the connection between Hester Prynne and Arthur Dimsdale. And we suspect, and it's later confirmed, that Arthur Dimsdale, the young preacher, the amazing rock star preacher, is actually the father of Hester's child. So Hester Prynne and Arthur Dimsdale have had an affair and then we realize at this point that the old guy, because of the connection with the lopsided shoulders, is actually Hester's husband. And then we also, um, another hint that gives us that there's this connection between Hester and Arthur Dimsdale is that the little baby recognizes something about this, like intuitively knows that she, the little baby, has this connection with Arthur Dimsdale because the little baby, uh, when Arthur Dimsdale starts speaking, looks toward his voice and then raises up its little arms toward Arthur Dimsdale. So that is the end of our notes for chapter three.